to episode 14 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. And today is Thursday, May 2nd, 2019. Thank you to all of our listeners, old and new. We hope we will be something you continue to put on repeat. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm where Monica's laughing because I stole her husband's, um, it's not really a sun hat. Kind of a fedora? Like a fedora because her skylight is blinding me. Yes. And otherwise I would sit too far from the microphone. So I have this hat with all my hair like scrunched up underneath. And so it's very fashionable. <laughs> I doubt it. Okay. So today it's just going to be kind of a regular but wonderful episode. We'll have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. And Sounds good. Yeah. Just jump right in. Oh, that would be me. That'd be you. Yeah. I would, what I are you know, knitting? Why do I always forget that? What's on the needles, Monica? On the needles. Mostly, I have been trying to finish the baby sweater, which how it is not done, I am not sure. Our baby has arrived last week. Little boy. Very exciting. Um, so I feel like I should probably finish the sweater. And I feel like I've been having this conversation in my head about it. Like, you know when your toddler throws a fit? about something ridiculous that'll take them 10 seconds to do and you spend an hour. Or your 15-year-old. Well, yeah. Okay. I was going to go with the toddler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the 15-year-old. Any age. Um, and you use all your best parenting techniques. Like, you know, it's going to be fine. It's going to be super easy. No problem. You can do this. They're like, no, I don't want to do it. That's how I'm feeling about the sweater for some reason. I can't. <laughs> I have sleep. It just sleeps. I have half a sleep at this point. Welcome to my world. So, <laughs> But yours is a grown-up sweater. This is a very tiny little sweater. I don't know why. I don't know. Why. And like sleeves do not usually bother me. I know a lot of knitters talk about Sleeve Island and they hate knitting sleeves and that, you know, they'll have all these bodies of sweaters lying around with no sleeves because it has never bothered me. But for some reason, this is just, I don't know. I'm like, I have to finish this. I need to finish this. So I got one what? sleeve done during the Sharks game. Oh, great. Which was a little nerve wracking. Because it was very, it wasn't, it was the most recent one. Okay, so Colorado. not that super. Not that super exciting one. That was very nerve wracking as well. This one, like the last three minutes or so, I was like, I just need to stop because my gauge is going to be all messed up, which is totally true. Um, but I did finish that one and I started the second one. So this is the Playtime Sweater by Lori Versace in Three Irish Girls Adorn Sock, little in a light gray colorway called Smoke on the water whisper or smoke on the water. I don't know why that whispers on the tag, but it is. So yeah, so it's a little yoke cardigan. I left room for three buttons, garter stitch. So really simple and cute. I've got a bunch of buttons. Oh, actually we should look at the buttons afterwards. Okay. See what you think. About I would love to weigh buttons. in. <laughs> I'm thinking I've got these cute little owl ones. I'm thinking that's what I want to go with. It'll be done very, very soon so that I can block it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm almost done. I'm so close. I just need to. And to be fair, I was out at various events every night last week. Um, so Yes, social butterfly. Yes, which was a random happenstance of events. There were a couple of nights where I was able to do some knitting. One night I think I took the sweater. The other night I actually worked on the socks for my husband that I'm still working on because I needed to pick up the sleeve stitches and that really mm -hmm. wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So when you take your knitting on the go, you're sort of strategic about which project you're going to take because of where it's at in its construction? Yes. 
Well, I mean, so it's got to be something small, which is why socks are great because yeah, they fit in. You know, you get one skein of yarn and a sock or two, and it fits in your purse. Like a regular sweater for me is not going to very portable. No, my sweater is not portable, but we have a long baseball game tonight, and I am dragging the sweater to the baseball game because well, then I'll be cold. Right. <laughs> I can nice drag it on my yeah. lap while I'm working on that it. That seems and... reasonable. But I'd say a symphony. Mm-hmm. You might not want to have a sweater draped all over you working on it. That's just me. Yeah, and then you're like yeah. clotheslining people trying to yeah. turn that might not go over so well. So <laughs> the baby sweater I was able to do at one of them because it wasn't a crowded event. You can do Almost it. Done. It'll get there. And then I did also work on my sweater for me, The Little Bird by Vera Valamaki in Isigur Spinny, which is a lace weight in deep teal. And that was, again, it was because I still needed to pick up the stitches for the sleeve. And I did not think that I wanted to do that while Game of Thrones was on. So uh, <laughs> I thought that knitting in the round endlessly would be good for the, the Battle of Winterfell. Okay, well, right. don't tell... Well, here's the thing. We've read all of the books that have been published. The series has gone past the books, so it doesn't matter. You know what, though? But it's not... I mean, how much did George weigh in on what... I believe he had a lot to say. Really? Yep. My understanding is that they consulted with him about the direction they were going. But he could take it in a totally different, right? He totally could. Maybe this is what he was thinking, maybe not. (laughs) I mean, he's, he's got a ways to go in the book, so... I'm not waiting to watch the end of this until he finishes the books. I see. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll be waiting a long time, I think. We sat and watched that Avengers Endgame movie mm-hmm. on Sunday with the boys. And then as we were leaving the theater, there was a guy up front who was like, okay, time for Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know, like we just watched a three-hour movie and he was ready to go roll into Sunday night. That seems reasonable. There was a, a lot of big screen time this weekend. Totally. But yeah, and that's all my knitting. Not too much. How about you? Any knitting? I am not. I haven't picked it up, but it's Me Made May. Right. Which is everything. Knitting, sewing, just those two. <laughs> For crochet. <laughs> all the I things. Mean, um, I guess you can make your own shoes. I, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. So my plan for Me Made May is to finish <laughs> finish the 7 8 sweater. Nice. Finish that really drapey car- um, cardigan that I made out of that beautiful jersey knit. Oh, yeah. I decided to add some um, black silk piping on the oh. inside because it was just a little too rough, re- roughly finished. I don't have a serger. It does... This kind of edging. Okay. I'm showing Monica the inside of my t-shirt, okay. which has like um, the overlock stitch. I don't have that. My machine does a great assortment of zigzags, but what I'm doing is just encasing the seam with piping. So it's like kind of pretty and yeah. lined. And I have this sweater that I bought on super clearance. It's a beautiful sweater, but it was way too big and boxy. And so I am I took it in from like the armpit down through the waist and then I I let it kick back out and meet the natural hip so that it's it's just like a little bit tapered. You know, I just shaped it basically. 
I did like a, t a big um, basting stitch on it. And so I'm just going to run it back through my machine and then cut it. It's a sweater. So it's, what's that word for when you cut? Steaking. It's kind of like that, sort of. Yeah. It's not a hand knit sweater, but it's pretty nice. So I'm a little bit nervous. Anyway, that's my plan. My very simple plan for Me Made May is to just finish these three things that are taking up art real estate, frankly, <laughs> because I am doing the 100 chromatics mm -hmm. and those are moving forward nicely. Excellent. So this is on the easel now. This is on the easel. Yeah. So I've been painting daily every single day this year and have where I'm on pink this week. Lovely. Mm -hmm. I noticed that you're cherry tree is an explosion of pink i took about 15 pictures when i parked my car next to it yep, it's so it's beautiful nice. it is very nice and then up against the sky it's just it's extraordinary that might make its way into the grid and actually simon took a picture standing in the street looking at the tree with the with our greenhouse in the background and that and then you got i think he also got some blue sky in there and that Turned out very nice and colorful that, as well. That might be really fun for when I do greens. Ooh. And then I'll still have the pink tie-in. And I have been organizing. This is not really on the easel, but I told you last time about the the big art supply sale that we're having mm -hmm. this weekend, which will be irrelevant when we air this episode. However, as I've been handling all of these different materials, it's been a wonderful exercise in know your art supplies. You know, there have been a couple things that I had no idea what it was and had to look it up. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was fun. There, I, we came across a couple uh, silver point styluses, which are actual silver. There's a nib in there that's actual silver, and you draw with it, and then oh. over time it patinas like a metal. And if the paper is prepared properly, it's just really beautiful. It looks like an so etching. You use for ink? You don't use any ink. You draw in silver and it looks oh. like oh, okay. It looks like a an etching. You oh, know, wow. really really fine detail. You can get tremendous detail. So that was really fun. And one of the things that I have purchased already is a big easel. Nice. And I put it, I moved it into my art room on Tuesday. It's like a game changer. It's so cool. It's just big and I want to work bigger and this affords me like, I can't ignore it, you know? So it's, it's like, like, is it like a stand-up easel that you mm -hmm. think of when you think of an artist and yep. painting away? Wow. Yeah. Cool. I have, I have. And you a, didn't have one before? I have a desktop easel. Oh, okay. That will do like. I don't know, maybe like a 25 or a 36 inch canvas, which is still yeah. pretty big, but it's desktop and it takes up space on, yeah. you know, surfaces. I've been using it to hold the, whatever oil painting is drying. Hmm. It's just really nice to have another big surface. I have sketches and plans and now I just have to be brave and take the plunge. I think that's it for on the easel though. I, literally, I can say on the easel next time. Yes, very true. So exciting. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, well, on the table, which was kind of funny. I was looking at, I was trying to think about what I had been making, and I wasn't thinking that I had made much, and then I actually went back through my um, calendar, and I was like, oh, I did actually make 
a lot of stuff, and I'm not sure how to approach it, so I'm just going to start talking about it. Broccoli melts. I love it. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. So it's basically like a tuna melt, except you use broccoli with lots of garlic, and you steam it, and then you saute it, and it was great, and everybody liked it, which I thought was pretty good. It's vegetarian, gluten-free bed for the husband. It was great. And then it, and I had a lot of leftover broccoli, so mm-hmm. I used that the next day. I think I either just made myself another one. When I make broccoli for dinner, I always make an extra crown and save it and make myself ah, broccoli, yeah. the broccoli um, toast the next day. It was good. And that's in the Smitten Kitchen Everyday book mm-hmm. as well. I know you're surprised. Mm. I love <laughs> I that one. I'm still going through that. And then I made, and I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, okonomiyaki, which are, this is from the dinner plan. They're Japanese kind of shrimp pancakes. So sort of like the green onion pancakes you get at mm-hmm. Chinese restaurants. I love They're those. a little chunkier. So I made them with shrimp for me and the boys. And then Simon's had a whole bunch of carrots. Oh, and they have cabbage in them. I um, like cabbage. Yeah. So they're really good and super fast to mix up. They don't have to sit or anything like crepes. Usually the recipe for that usually recommends letting them sit for a while. And then you just sort of throw blobs in the pan and cook them up. Doesn't that sound it's kind of appetizing? Yeah, really. <laughs> That's basically what you do. And it's shrimp so that, mm-hmm. you know, it cooks quickly as well. Yeah. So those are really good. And I had made those before. People still like them. Excellent. Yeah, so that was good. I've been baking. I I'm did. so proud. I know. <laughs> so I had my cake that I made for Easter. Which was beautiful. Which was, yes, specimen. I have to say, I'm pretty, pretty proud of myself. So this was the oh, Smitten Kitchen. Every day, every day. Everyone, when I tell, tell them that, they're like, that's not an everyday cake. But it was actually really simple. You posted a photo of this, right? Yes. Great. So it's the four-layer cake with the chocolate ganache. And the idea is that it looks like a petty four, except very large. You make it in an eight-by-eight pan. And you split the batter into, well, I guess you could do it however you wanted. I split it into four and did the four different colors, and then you bake it. So it ends up being a super thin layer, so it only takes about 10 minutes to bake. So it's not arduous. Yeah, it's not taking all day. And then you layer jam in between and put the frosting on. And it is flavored with almond paste. And you have some almond paste left over to make those cute little flowers that I put on top. And it was tasty. Although I will say my young, my nephews, who are 8 and 10, not impressed by it. I mean, they were impressed by it. They didn't. They did not eat there. But it was Easter, so they had they had options. They did have options. So yeah, it's not it's not super sweet. I would say. Really, I like yeah, that. I mean, even yeah. So I think that's probably why. Yeah. Little ones didn't enjoy it as much. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I love marzipan. Yeah. Or good. almond paste, right? Yeah. What is the difference, though? Do you know? I think sugar. Oh, okay. I don't know that almond paste oh, has... It doesn't have the sugar? I don't think almond paste has the sugar, but I could be wrong. No, that would make sense, because I think a marzipan is like the little candies that involve yeah. almond paste. I mean, they definitely have that flavor, but... We're going to have to look that up. That would make sense, though. Let's go with that until proven. Okay. Otherwise... I'm sure we'll have an errata. And then I did the strawberry cloud cookies, also from Smitten Kitchen Every Day. Just a big Smitten Kitchen <laughs> advertisement right now. Um, they were delicious. They're basically a little strawberry meringues, but you mm-hmm. grind up the freeze-dried strawberries that you can get at, well, I get them at Trader Joe's, and you put that those. into the mix. 
and I had bought a couple of packs. I wasn't sure how many I was going to need to make the powder, and I had to tell Dash to stop feeding them because I was going to make cookies for them, and he's like, oh, but they're really good. My kids like to snack on those, too, and I threatened once to grind them into um, a Rice Krispie treat because I thought oh, that would yeah. be really pretty yeah. for a Valentine thing at their school, and there was a giant revolt. Why? Just the idea that I was going to alter the Rice Krispie treat with something other than chocolate, I mm. think, was what scared them. So how did you grind it up? I put it in a bag and took a rolling pin to mm-hmm. it. You know, some of it was, was powder, some of it was still a little chunky, but I had made her chocolate pavlova, which involves not chocolate chunks, but certainly chocolate flakes, so I figured that it wasn't really going to matter. Yeah. And it didn't. So you had little specks of the strawberry in there as well. I think I could have baked them a little bit longer. A couple of them, they didn't totally collapse, but they had some collapsed parts. Mm-hmm. And when you ate them... They were sticky on the inside. They were, yeah, and they did kind of collapse and fall apart. And so I keep finding little bits of meringue all in my kitchen. <laughs> work on that, but but they were very delicious. And pretty. And pretty. Oh, and this is the part we call Courtney is super smart. And <laughs> what? Sauce is amazing. Sauce is the best thing. <laughs> so I finally got a hold of the special sauce. Um, at Costco. Oh my gosh, delicious. But you just so, had the Chipotle one, right? Just, well, Which has tremendous kick. Well, yeah. it does for my palate. It, yes. I feel like the first bite, I'm like, ooh, yes, Chipotle. And after that, I'm okay. That's because your taste buds are anesthetized well, that by could it. Be, yes. So yes. Yeah. So my older son is not a zippy flavor guy. So he's the only one that doesn't terribly much enjoy it. But everybody else does. Yeah, because it's vegan, it's gluten-free, it's mm-hmm. delicious. So I've been trying to figure out like everything. So, like, what else can I put it on? Oh, my egg sandwich. <laughs> totally great. It's uh, completely addictive. Thanks. And it has um, a curse word in the name, which is why we call it here. But we will put a link to it in the show notes, which will force you to go to the show notes to figure out what yes. it is. So it was delicious. So the first night, because I was going to Costco and it was during the week of craziness where I was leaving the house at five and people were getting back. And so it really needed to be an assembly kind of night. So I got a Costco chicken. I made, I think rice. I mean, I made some sort of grain, some sort of veg. It's like, here, take this, dump some of this sauce on it. That's your dinner. It's great. Which is also basically what you do, except that I bought the Costco chicken, but they're pretty delicious. I haven't ever bought a Costco chicken, but I'm glad that you have found my shortcut it was good to work for you and then i did it last night as well but i made a roasted garlic parsley mint sauce yum from the cook 90 cookbook which had like a whole clove of garlic in there so that was pretty tasty and ended up doing kind of the same thing i made rice did some chicken breasts roasted some tofu as well green beans dumped the green sauce all over it delicious Boy, I see potential for tofu in that sauce. The special sauce? Yeah, yeah. tofu for me falls into the quinoa category where it needs as much help as humanly possible. Yeah. But I think that that, it's a superhero when it comes to flavor. My last thing, you're going to a party and you need to bring something like a potluck, cheese fondue. 
Okay. So good. But, Super easy. You don't actually have to cook anything. Everyone's impressed. It's delicious. But you had accoutrement for yes. your fondue. Bread and... Bread and salami and broccoli. Did you steam broccoli. the broccoli? Yes. Yeah. And then what kind of cheese do you put in your fondue? So this one was Gruyere and white cheddar. Nice combination. Some white wine oh. and a little splash of whiskey. Do you ever put a little Dijon mustard in? I have never done that. I can see the, that. The I don't Gruyere. do cheese as much. Yeah, I don't either. But when I used to make macaroni and cheese, I would use Gruyere and white cheddar and a little bit of Dijon mustard. Now, my mac and cheese, I would absolutely put Dijon in Okay. There. Interesting. But I have never thought of doing it in a fondue. Hmm. I, I'm a mustard fan, so it would be yeah. a particular flavor profile. Interesting. I it's highly recommend the truffle mustard from Trader Joe's that comes in the little crock. Oh. I don't like the lid on it, but the crock is great. I have not had that. I'll just check for it next time. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was funny because there was a group of us and we were getting together and doing kind of a potluck dinner. And we hadn't really talked about what any of us were making. We had sort of kicked around some ideas and, you know, hadn't come up with anything. And I was thinking about bringing those um, the shrimp pancakes because I thought that would be kind of fun, you know, make them there. And it's really easy. And we had another gluten-free couple and then uh, another vegetarian. So I kind of it wasn't just Simon that we were accommodating. So then I think it was the morning of the party. I was kind of flipping through my cookbooks, looking for some ideas. And I came across the cheese fondue recipe. I was like, ah, oh, that'd be great. Pull out the fondue pot. Wonderful. And so I texted everyone and the hostess came back with, but I'm making cheese fondue. <laughs> and I'm thinking she's messing with me, right? Because no way we're both thinking of making cheese fondue. I'm like, oh, that's funny. She's like, no, no. I'm like, okay, well, I haven't been to the store yet. You, you can do it. She's like, oh, no, I have an, you know, some other idea, and I don't know where my fondue pot is, so you go for it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to let you <laughs> let you give it to me because I don't want to think about it anymore. But I thought it was really That funny. is completely random. It was a little bit random. Very delicious. And that is it for me. Well, for somebody who's been out half the time, People still didn't... need to eat. Yeah. I know, but then I just... Costco made... chicken. Yeah. Special sauce. So the only, I only have a couple little tags for, for what was on the table this week. I made pesto chicken Mm. and I don't think I have a recipe link for it, but I just saute chicken breasts and then lay them in a, a roasting or an oven pan and put pesto, sliced tomato, oh, um, feta and black olives and then pour a little bit of cream over the top of it oh. and then let it finish baking in the oven. And Just until the cheese kind of gets melty? I mean, obviously the chicken no, needs to be cooked. Yeah, the that. chicken cooked through. It's probably, it probably only needs, depending on how thick your chicken is, 12 to 16 minutes. Right. Oh my God. I feel like you could also do it with some provolone at the last minute instead Absolutely. of Absolutely. Um, in fact, I'm the only one who likes feta. So, you know, you do you. Right. Everybody likes this. I haven't made it in a really long time, and I wanted to use up some pesto that was in there. So that was my yeah. that was my goal behind it. Tonight, I am making the country captain chicken. 
that recipe that I, I shared with you. About. It was in House Beautiful magazine, and there must be 78 ingredients. I'm exaggerating, but 78. There's a lot, yeah. A lot of ingredients. But the funny thing was when I looked at the ingredients list, initially I thought, oh, this is going to take forever, and I sort of pushed it aside. I didn't really read it that carefully. Mm-hmm. And then when I was grocery shopping this week, and I knew that we were going to have a couple busy nights, I thought that that would be my good batch recipe. And when I looked through it, there were only three things on there that I didn't have in the house, which surprised me because, you know, 78 ingredients. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's what's that's what's on the table tonight. We'll see how it goes. It's the first time I've made it. What are the main flavors in there? Well, it's not Chicken. for vegans and it's not for vegetarians. It is for the omnivores because it calls for a little bulk sausage and a lot of chicken parts. Yum. Yeah. And then I think you serve it over rice or you put the rice in it. I didn't really read that far. Oh, okay. But there's no dairy in it. So there's that. (laughs) Is there wheat? No. Sweet. No wheat. Gluten-free. Gluten-free. Nice. But completely carnivorous. Excellent. Yeah. I also made... Zucchini tots. Zucchini tots? Mm-hmm. So this is tater tots Yes. with mostly zucchini. It needs some potato to hold it together because the otherwise it, it would be it more of like a zucchini fritter. So it's it's kind of like a zucchini gnocchi. Excellent. Nobody really cared for them. Because How about you? I love them. Oh, there we go. Yeah. You're the one cooking, so. I mean, I thought the boys would just dive right in. And I think that if I had... You know, they were all concerned about the, what's in these? Because they're green? Because they're green. Yeah. So next time I could just remove the skin and then, then they wouldn't even know. No. Although I have to say, my kids have never been terribly excited about tater tots. Like regular tater tots? Really? I don't know why. Oh. One of those strange things. They're one of the so. things that I feel like should be on the grown-up menu. They're delicious. They're delicious. Have you had tachos? No. <laughs> they're nachos made with tater tots instead of chips. It's pretty good. Isn't and there... some there's some weird... Like a Midwestern dish that oh, calls... it must be. But um, at the ballpark, we had them, I think, with like cheese and bacon or something. It's pretty good. You can do a lot with the, the tot. You can. <laughs> um, there is some Midwestern dish that uses the potato I'm sure there's more than one as the playing field for the whole meal. It's like a casserole built around tater tots. They have some delicious Absolutely. We had a conversation at the knitting retreat about salads. Salads, I've got that in quotes. Like the cookie salad. Oh. Which I've never had, but sounds very interesting. The molded jello salad. That too. That yeah, I still have post traumatic stress from oh, when I was a kid. Like those. I know you do. <laughs> I don't like the texture of a jello salad when it has like a really hard apple oh, um, yeah. piece in it. That's what always bugged me about those. Oh, yeah, that would be weird. No, I have a very good strawberry one. I have a really good strawberry one. <laughs> it calls for Cool Whip. Oh, well, obviously. Can you use fresh whipped cream on a pillow salad? And you can put real strawberries in mine if you want, 
but it really calls for strawberry jello. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's is it Obviously. the same I recipe? Know. I'm sure it's similar. What do you call it? I don't know. I haven't made it in a very long time. We call it pink stuff. <laughs> nice. I don't think that's what ours is called. It's probably the same thing though. We did Watergate salad for a long time, which is Cool Whip and pistachio pudding mix and pineapple and I think walnuts, some sort of nut. And I first made it for one of the boys for their birthday and they would not touch it because it was green. <laughs> I was trying to force them like, dude, you will like it. It's cool. Whip. They're like, it's green. No way. No way, lady. I don't trust you. I'm like, I'm trying to force my child to eat Cool Whip. Well, what is wrong with this picture? Our younger son, his favorite ice cream is grasshopper pie. Oh, that's still the best. to this day, and it's green. And when he was really little, if you asked him, "What's in grasshopper pie?" he would say, "Grasshoppers and pie." And he would not touch chocolate mousse because he thought mousse, the animal, was in there. <laughs> the grasshoppers are okay. Uh huh. Kids. <laughs> All right. Maybe we need to have a Jello tasting. A jello taste jello salad tasting. That's terrifying. I'll show but you my recipe. Sounds great. I'll find my recipe. And then I was trying to figure out like how they made it to my family. And then it occurred to me I have an uncle who is from Minnesota. So I'm wondering well, if we I get those know. recipes. I mean, there's the whole fifties thing. Right. But I feel like this one came from my aunt. That was always her thing that she would make and she's the one married to the guy from Minnesota. Although the strawberry is from a different the other side of the family. So I'm not sure where that one came from. I'm pretty sure that ours was captured off the box of Jello or clipped from a magazine or something like that, and yeah. and then elevated. <laughs> <laughs> How exactly was it elevated? Well, using fresh strawberries as well as the Jello. Yes, oh, okay. for yeah. starters, and then just whipping it to the point where it's just voluminous. What are you whipping? I think it is cottage cheese. Oh, yeah, this is not the same. And Cool Whip. Oh. And Jello, strawberry gelatin. Yes. And I can't remember if there's anything else. Just in the there. powder, and that all gets whipped in? Uh huh. Oh, okay, so this is more of a salad than a jello mold. Mine is more of a jello mold. Okay, so then we would mince up real strawberry and fold that in. Oh, yes, that is fancy. And then pipe it out in like parfait glasses with a a pastry tube, and that's how it gets elevated. I mean... Oh, that's super fancy. Sort of. But I made it for a drawing thing a couple Mm -hmm. years ago, and my kids hated it. And so then I had like four perfect little samples that I was using as still life, basically, and my husband ate all four of them. <laughs> I mean, it's probably pink, right? It is. It's Some beautiful. Some might need to make it. Oh, yeah, for this week? Yep. Except nobody likes it. I would come over and eat it. Okay. Yeah. No, mine is more of a strawberry jello mold, but you do it in like a 9 by 11, and then it's topped with, I think, Cool Whip and nuts, and I think there's strawberries in there at some point. Probably frozen strawberries to frost it. I mean, I guess you could use fresh, but that seems like a lot of work. <laughs> you know all right enough talk of jello molds on the okay. nightstand what are you reading oh my gosh so i finished the bird king by g willow wilson it takes place in spain 1491 and it, it starts off in the alhambra palace 
the Spanish are about to take over the city and throw out the Muslims after hundreds of years of them ruling most of Spain. So the palace map maker is also has some magical powers and the concubine hears that the Inquisition is coming for him. So she goes to tell him and they escape. And that's where I was last time. Um, and it goes off from there. I think I wanted it to be more historical and less fiction. Okay. Um, it kind of ended up being a quest for them. And I obviously don't mind fantasy elements. I love Game of Thrones. I read this kind of thing all the time, but I think I wasn't, I was expecting it to be either more incorporated. What it ended up being was not what I wanted it to be. So I had some, some issues with that. And a little bit too episodic for me, like, but now we're being chased. Now we've been caught. Now we escape. Now we're being chased. Now we, you know, yeah. over and over. And she, the author writes graphic novels, comic oh, books oh, as well. Oh. So I think maybe it kind of felt like that. And she's written other books. But I like, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the different view of the time period. Um, I usually get it from the Spanish point of view. So getting it from the, the Muslim point of view was, was cool. But yeah, and I gave it three stars. I enjoyed it. I kept going through it. It was interesting. Interesting to see how she went with this this quest, but not my favorite of my books. And then I read Homegoing by Yazi. Ya- yeah, yeah. Did you read this? Mm-hmm. Real, did we talk about this? Um, I think it was before we started the oh, podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is two sisters, although they don't know their sisters, uh, who live in Africa on the Gold Coast. And so it starts off in the 1790s. One of them ends up marrying uh, an English soldier in the castle nearby, and the other ends up on the slave ships to America, and it follows their two families up until the present time. So it goes, it talks about one sister, then the other sister, and then the one sister's child, and then the other sister's child, and it goes through and you follow the family connections. And and each gener- each person has their own storyline, yes. is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, a chapter about the one sister and then a chapter about the next sister. And you don't necessarily see, it really, each chapter becomes about the new person. It's not so much an interaction between, mm-hmm. like, the mom and the child. But, yeah, so it's, that I, that one I loved. I thought that was really I did too. beautiful and heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, so much. And then it ended, and I thought I saw where it was going, and I was wrong. So I always appreciate that mm-hmm. as well. That was a beautiful book. And then A Woman is No Man by Etafron, which you also read. And I think that's why I picked this one up, because you gave it such a good review. And I just finished that last night. Again, heartbreaking. (laughs) This is the Palestinian woman who is uh, married to a man in America. And so it's her story and then her daughter's story. And the woman's story starts in 1990, and her daughter is 2008. And the mother-in-law is in there a little bit, too. And so family secrets and connections and you know what it means to be a woman and having control of your life and how much control do you have and how do you make these decisions and within the framework of their culture too yes yeah. yeah absolutely was within that culture but it also a lot of it spoke to me as a woman as well not that I live with that much oppression or lack of choice I certainly have many many choices but you still think about just you know how much choice do I have in, in certain mm-hmm. things and so that one was really, really good as well. I like that. Good. And then the last one was, and I'm going to try and not talk about this forever, Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Criado Perez. Ah, Actually, it's good that I'm 
it's been a week, I think, since I finished it because I was so annoyed at my family <laughs> the whole time. You know when you have a dream and you're mad at someone and you wake up and you're actually yes. you're mad at them in real life? Yes. And this has nothing to do with anything. So this is sort of where I was. So she is, uh, she studied English and economics in London. So she's a, you know, so she's a writer and an economist and a feminist. So she is looking at how the standard in most organizations, governments, any large corporation ends up by default being a man. And it means a lot of things, but that women's needs and everything just doesn't get studied. So there's no data so that it doesn't get addressed. And if you're sitting in a boardroom trying to come up with your latest product or figure out where the new bus route should go, and it's all mostly men looking at data about men, half of the population is not going to get their needs met. And things that you wouldn't even necessarily think of, she starts off, her first story is about a town in Sweden that was reviewing all of their policies from a gender equality point of view. So what needs to be revamped, what is working, what is good for all of us, what is being more helpful towards men. And they were finding all, you know, thing after thing that needed to be changed. And someone said, oh, well, at least the snow plowing is gender neutral. And they were like, huh, wonder if that's true. So they started looking at it. And when it snows, and this seems, you know, to make sense, you do the big roads and then the smaller roads, and then you get to the pedestrian walks and the bike paths, right? Because everybody needs to get to work. Except that it's not really true. The people taking the bike paths are women with kids or women trying to get to work or they're riding their bikes. So it's harder to walk your stroller through the snow mm -hmm. than drive your car through the snow. So it was actually like all the men going off to work were fine in their nice clean roads, but the women were walking along in the snow. So they're like, all right, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't cost us any more to change the order. Let's switch the order. And what ended up happening was they had been tracking all of their emergency room admissions. And it turns out when they did this, emergency room admissions dropped because for, for women and children slip and falls oh. on the icy roads or the icy paths right so now this wasn't happening and they save and you know because i think it's socialized medicine so they ended up saving like millions of dollars because they made this change because they thought to look at let's actually look at who's using these paths and how this, this is affects. fascinating this is yeah. like freak, so the, freaking whole moments. book is like this right like medicine they do tests on men like they don't test on women Right. And there, right. Are medic there are medicines that will work on men and don't either don't work the same or don't work at all. Like the second highest side effect for women of medications is that they don't work. There are medications do that they, they not, have started to develop, but they didn't work on men. Do they so not they just, test on women because they're worried about, well, if she gets pregnant, what will it do to the fetus? Because they never want to test on a pregnant woman. Right. So A, so they won't do that. So that's like... A whole Anyone other issue. between 18 and 48-ish. Yeah. Well, and right? I guess, yeah, and it also, um, our hormones do fluctuate and influence how the medicines will work. So it's messy. Like, it's difficult because it might work different at different times in the month. So it's too hard to test that. Like, well, I'm sorry, but that's how our bodies work. You need to figure out how the medication is going to affect us at different times in the month. 
Wow. That is actually, that is we like. Could, we could probably talk about this for hours. Yeah, that's why I was like, okay, I can't tell, I can't tell all the stories. You just so, need to go read the book. So it's very, so things like that where it will literally affect your life, like your health. And it's just still like, no, it's okay. It'll, it'll be fine. So, so what was your takeaway from this? You said you were just. Mad or evil. No, sorry. That's not at all. I get mad when people say that. No. And so her, there's so many. She's like, really, there needs to be data. It needs to be studied. People need to actually look at it. And and her point is, most most of the time, it is not on purpose. Men are not sitting there going like, how can we punish the women more? They just, they're operating from their own biases. I mean, and she specifically, she's like, I'm not going to break this down by gender, or by gender, by color and race, because there's even less data on how, Absolutely. like, if you were a woman of color, yeah. you get buried twice. You get buried Absolutely. because they do minorities and women, and you're lost in both of those. So she's like, I can't even really go there. Um, and she does look at data from South America and Africa as well in some cases. Um, so mostly it's just you're operating from your own biases, and you don't think there would be a need for whatever because you don't have that need, right? Like, bus routes are set up mostly to get people... From their home in the suburbs to downtown, which is great if that's all, you know, if that's the only thing you do. But if you're also dropping the kids off at school and going to the grocery store on the way home and taking your parent to their doctor, that, that you know, downtown to suburb route is not going to help you any. So, you know, she's like, we just, we need more data. We need to study these things. Is she um, a sociologist? What is her her background? Did you look into that? Um, she, I think it was a degree in economy. Interesting. She is a writer, broadcaster, and feminist activist, activist, and was named Liberty Human Rights Campaigner of the Year and OBE by the Queen. She has a degree in English Language and Literature from the University of Oxford, and she studied behavioral and feminist economics at the London School of Economics. So, economist. So it was really interesting. And I might need to buy it just so I can lend it again. Lend it round. That too. Wow. I'm impressed. Um, Yeah. I'm, I just, I'm really, I love a great nonfiction that is meaningful and relevant and informative and readable. Yes. And it sounds like. Yeah, lots of stories. I mean, yeah, so she has a degree in literature originally, so she's got that, that writing part down. It's very, it's lots of stories and, you know, specific examples, but then she breaks it out into what data there is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just this one story, one example, if there is data. Here's what it is. Excellent. Yeah. Great, great recommendation. What have you read? I read Bolaway, the new Elizabeth McCracken. I don't know either of those names. Elizabeth McCracken wrote The Giant's House. Oh, okay. Which everybody in the world needs yes. to read. I say that. Is there a hyperbolically. That one? Yes. Okay, I have like that. Bolaway takes place, and you're much more in tune with the time. Uh, the date that your mm-hmm. books are happening, I have no idea. Well, then it might not matter. When was the um, molasses incident in Boston? Oh, well, I don't know. The early 1900s? Yeah. Okay, so in Boston, in the early 1900s, there was a giant molasses tower that blew apart and flooded the North End. January 15th, 1919. Thank you. And it killed 19 people. Monica is Googling this as I'm 21 people injured 150. 
So at approximately twelve thirty p.m. So the book is uses that incident, that historical incident, as a jumping off point for the the catalyst, if you will. Hmm. So we have a character, this really swarthy woman in the early 1900s and she rolls onto the scene in a town outside of Boston and sets up a bowling alley and she's got like a women's bowling club and she is just amazing and she is a white woman and she marries a black man and there is a little bit of drama about this interracial marriage but not as much as you might as might expect because he is a very he's a doctor so he and he's from Canada and he just seems otherly in a lot of different ways not singularly a black man but he's also a foreigner and a doctor and right. married to this unfathomable woman who I think is much older than him I can't really tell the story unfolds around their family and their friends as the generations unfold. It sort of pivots around the bowling alley that she set up. I don't particularly care about bowling, and I think there's a lot, if you're a bowling fan, there's a lot here to <laughs> uh, gnaw, or gnaw on. I don't know candle pin from regular bowling from any yeah. of it. But it's really fun to see who takes over this business and what they do to change it and how women initially are welcomed and then there's a time around prohibition when they are not welcome and it's just really episodic novel. And it was comfortable to read at a kind of a slower pace because you just you're watching all of this unfold. Really beautiful story. So that was the Elizabeth McCracken. And now I, I have three books going right now. I've been a little busy, I guess, in the evening. I'm reading Dreyer's English. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. I'm reading Lost and Wanted, which is a new Nell Freudenberg Berger science fiction that has a little time travel oh. element, which I think I'll give a more fully fleshed account of next week. How did you find that one? That doesn't sound like your usual... No, that came to me from Book of the Month Club. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And it is incredibly scientific and well-written, and the characters are complex and deeply interesting. So mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it, but I don't want to... I don't know where it's going, so I don't want to give a spoiler. Okay. But the Dryer's English is... A delight. And this is Benjamin Dreyer, who is the chief editor at Random House Books. And he wrote a style manual for how to write better. And he made the rounds on uh, public radio, I think back in January or February when it was first published. And I put it on my library list and it just landed the other day. So I think it's been really popular. Mm -hmm. But what I really liked about when I was listening to the interviews was his approach to writing recognizes that our spoken English is always going to be just a little bit different than our written English. And that a way to help clarify your written English might be to slow down and read it out loud and you'll hear your mistakes better. So he has lots of very practical tips he ascribes to the Oxford comma. He calls it something else, but I know it as the Oxford comma. 
the really fun thing at, at the very beginning of the book, and I'm almost three quarters of the way through the really delightful list. And I'm breaking his rules as I, I can hear myself breaking all these rules. He has a list of 12 words that we should eliminate from our written vocabulary. He recognizes that these are bound to slip into our spoken English, but that when we're writing, these are opportunities to clean up our prose. And so this is more, sorry, of a kind of a how-to, not a memoir or a... Well, it's, or a little it's got a lot of great stories okay. and a lot of anecdotes and very easy to take away uh, tips you can take right out of the block. And as a writer, some of them are really straightforward and easy. But I think it's also interesting to hear what his what he sees cropping up as an editor and what what are his pet peeves. Mm -hmm. I, I just always love to hear about peop other people's language pet peeves. I had a professor in college who hated um, a naked this. He called it a naked this. Which and is. it would be like any time you said, this is the way I walk to school. The this is a placeholder for a more specific uh, description. Another word he hated was certain. Certain times I like to go to the library, be more specific, you know, okay. I like to go to the library on weekends or I like to go to the library on Tuesdays when no one is there. You know, writing, okay. writing professors play along my, no, I, 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 I totally, I can totally see that. So I want That's to why share writing professors right. and not the hoi polloi like the rest of us. Exactly. So this list of 12 words is coming from a professional copy editor who has edited bestsellers for the last, I don't know, 30 years. A certain number of years. Mm -hmm. So his book says, to omit these words from our written prose, very, rather, really, quite, in fact, just, I'm super guilty of just, pretty, as in, that's pretty awkward, not she's pretty. Of course, surely, that said, another one I'm guilty of. So I'm pretty sure I'm guilty of that one. But there's one word that he wants everyone to stop using in their writing. Actually. And I don't know why he has a problem with actually, but I think this list just cracks me up. Just yeah. cracks me up. And I think that we all benefit from taking a look at how we're how we're writing and how we're communicating our, ourselves and he also has some great little snippets where he is editing the some of the twitter tweets of certain people and that's very fun too that seems twitter. like a false edit but could be definitely amusing yeah he definitely delineates the difference between a written email, a written letter, versus that stretch into a text message a between adults who aren't using shorthands, or what I'm writing in an Instagram caption or what somebody is tweeting. That those are, ugh, that is a gray area in terms of prose. But I feel like the Instagram captions for me personally mm -hmm. are part of my expression. And I do want to be 
clear and crisp and and careful about the words that I'm using in those, especially in those small sound bites. Well, and especially Instagram because I feel that it's for a lot of people become well, it's become more of their main mode of communication where it used to be just throwing up pictures it's really so much more than that now as people move away from facebook especially the youngsters you know they're not i mean they're using a whole other things they're probably not even on instagram anymore as far as i can tell but yeah so it has become more of a place of communication there's all these conversations going on in the stories which is a whole other kind of issue about Mm -hmm. communication communication and i just i think that what i what I really love about the book is this opportunity to evaluate that side of my life as a writer, as somebody who writes, I might not be writing 10,000 pages a week, but I'm definitely always writing every day, even if it's in my journal or in Instagram captions or short stories or whatever and it's 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 just a great opportunity for reflection and such a um accessible book you know Mm -hmm. i think it's it's something everyone can take a little bit away to help improve their prose cool yeah so we both had two 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 non-fiction thumbs up yeah yeah good stuff All right, so I think that's it then. We'll be back soon. So just remember to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. Check us out on Instagram at craftcookreadrepeat or CourtneySF. That's C O 